Um, so this year we've been focusing on two main things, and we've repeated this over and over and over again. The first thing is the Word of God. Can we all say together, Word of God? Word of God. The second thing is prayer. All together, prayer? So it's very two very basic but two very foundational things that we're honing in on this year. As we were praying at the end of last year and thinking about what can we focus on for the year 2020, we felt very strongly that these two things are really going to strengthen and anchor our community where we need to be. And lo and behold, you know, two months into the year, we, you know, went through all this COVID stuff and the Lord was very gracious to us in that we were already en route to, you know, being strengthened in these two things. So imagine with me if, and I'm crossing my fingers that this is not the case. If we were to not be able to meet in person again, imagine for the rest of the year, that'd be terrible. But even if it came down to that, our purpose and our desire as staff is to make sure that this community is grounded in the word of God and in prayer. And the really great thing about these two things is that you don't need somebody speaking from a stage for you to be grounded in those two things. You can actually have access directly to God through the word of God and through prayer. And so that's our desire to equip the body of Christ to connect with the Lord in ways that will strengthen us personally in our journey, in our pursuit of who God is. And so um, just after finishing a sermon on the Lord's prayer for seven weeks, last week we had Pastor JP and he started us off in a three part sermon series on the high priestly prayer. Does anybody remember what, um, what passage of the Bible that is in closing? It's John chapter 17. That's right. John chapter 17. So that's a high priestly prayer. It's actually a long prayer, but it's divided mainly into three parts. The first part is Jesus is praying for himself. He's about to go to the cross and he's praying for himself. Father, would you glorify the son now? And our idea, what it looks like if I were to pray, father, would you glorify Susie now? In my mind, it looks like a particular way. Like, okay, this is a time for me to shine. Like, you know, like audiences and books and like whatever. And that's my idea of glorify. But in what Jesus meant by now glorify the son, literally it meant being lifted up, not on a platform, but on a cross. That's what it meant. Literally glorify means lifted up. That's what it meant when Jesus said, father, now is the hour glorify the son. He's saying, lift up the son, not on a platform, not on a pedestal, but on the cross. And through that, the world will get to know the father. And so that's the part that he is praying for himself. Then he turns his attention. He's still praying to the father, but he begins to pray for the 11 disciples that are there with him. They're eavesdropping. They're like a fly on the wall. They get to hear this anointed prayer from God, the son himself praying to God, the father, and they get to hear Jesus's prayer for these 11 disciples. By then Judas was already on his way to you know, betray him. And so there are 11 disciples that get to eavesdrop on Jesus's prayer. And then the last part is Jesus praying for all believers. That includes you and I. That means all Gentiles, all the nations, all tribes, and all tongues. Jesus actually prayed for us 2,000 years ago. He saw us. He saw us in his mind's eye. He saw Danny. Danny, the Korean 
Brazilian, you know, and he saw you in his mind's eye and he prayed for you in John 17. And we're all part of that prayer. And so last week, uh, Pastor JP preached on that first part. Today, I'm going to be preaching on that second part where Jesus prays for his disciples. And next week, we're going to have uh, a sermon on Jesus praying for all believers. Now, let me ask you a question. Imagine you knew this like really, really holy person who happened to be your friend. If you had any need, wouldn't you go to them for prayer? You'd have this... In in your mind, you'd be like, I feel like God pays special attention to their prayers. Like, I feel like their prayers are especially powerful. Like, I feel like if they pray for this, it's going to happen. And you have this notion that they have like a special connection with the Lord. And if I ask them for prayer, it's going to, it's going to be done. Imagine somebody who had the exact same mind and the perfect connection with the father. And you heard them pray. Wouldn't you think that everything that they prayed for is going to be yes and amen? No word that they pray, no word that they've spoken is going to fall to the ground. And this is what I want us to think about as we're eavesdropping on Jesus's prayer. Who else has the perfect mind of God? Who else is completely, not 90%, not 99%, 100% in tune with the Holy Spirit? Who else, when they pray, you know that it's going to be fulfilled. It is Jesus. Jesus, perfect man, perfect God. And he's the one who's praying here in John 17. And it was as if Jesus, right as he's about to transition now into going on the cross, dying for three days and then being raised again, right as he's about to go into that, He turns to the father and he begins to pray for himself, for the disciples who are going to have to take the baton, and then for all believers in all eternity. It's as if this chapter, John 17, was his last parting words. Like, you know, in those movies when there's a protagonist that's getting ready to die and with their last breath, they say, you know, something very profound and, you know, like every single word that that comes out of their mouth is like really important because you know, they're about to die. It's kind of like that. Jesus is on the brink about to go to the cross. And these are his parting words and his parting prayers for himself, for the 11 disciples and for you and I. So I want us to do something Today, um, I want us to read this long chapter together. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn um, to John 17. I'm going to have slides for for people uh, to follow along as well. But I encourage you, if you have your physical Bible, this is really the best way to, you know, track with uh, this passage. John 17, we're actually going to read all 26 verses. But we're not going to rush through it, even though it's very like jam-packed. We're actually going to imagine in our mind that this is actually Jesus actually praying to the Father for himself, for his disciples, and also for you and I. So it's as if we were getting a sneak peek into this incredible man's prayer life, and we get to catch a glimpse of his heart for you and I. So we're going to start with verse one, and it reads, when Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, father, 
The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, that the glory that I had with you before the with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one Even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you gave me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction. So this is Judas. That the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy. Fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, And I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And love them even as you loved me. Father, 
I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. So these are the words of Jesus at the brink of death, knowing that we're going to need divine help, knowing that the task is too difficult for these 11 that are surrounding him. And instead of saying, all right, guys, let's get down and we're going to have a workshop and a seminar and I'm going to do all these things. His preferred mode is actually to turn to the father and begin to pray. This should tell you just how powerful he believes prayer is. It means that prayer can accomplish something that a workshop cannot Prayer can accomplish something that a teaching cannot. Prayer is going to accomplish the impossible because he's bringing in the power of God as he's directing these prayers to the Father. And so today's message is titled, Sent into the World. Sent into the World. Now, I want to start off just with this illustration. Have you guys watched like all these spy action movies? You know, like, I was raised kind of like on, on Born Identity and like, you know, like Mission Impossible. And like all of these movies have the exact, it's almost like the exact same premise. There's like this spy, you know, and they're called into the headquarters. And it goes something like this, you know, their boss will say, this is your mission. Should you choose to accept it? Your target's name. And then they'll say something like, like a Russian name, usually like your targets, you know, a name is Vladimir, maybe not um, yet Romanov or something, a Russian special agent who hacked into our intelligence mainframe three days ago. You know, they are now currently, you know, trying to sell this information, you know, and there's a sense of urgency, you know, and then, you know, this agent who's about to embark on this incredibly difficult mission at some point he'll ask them so why do we want them dead right and then their bosses or whatever you know whoever's there they'll say something very extreme right they'll usually say something like we are preventing a global nuclear holocaust and the end of the world as we know it right so for this person who's about to embark on this mission they know that they have a purpose And that ultimately, we're trying to accomplish something even greater. And this is the the very, you know, well-trodden path of most spy movies. And this is how it sucks in. This is, okay, there's a special force or there's a special person who's on this mission now. And the entire movie is going to be about him trying to, you know, accomplish this mission that they've been given. Now, have you ever asked yourself in that same way as if, You know, you're being given a very specific mission. Have you ever asked yourself, so what's the point? Like, what are we trying to do here? Like, I I understand that, God, you've called me 
to live this way and to go to church and to learn your word and to pray and to be a blessing and to be faithful in my work and to pray for my family and all these things. I understand that this is what you call me to do, but like, what are we trying to get at here? Like, like why? I have this like niece who's, I, I'm, I know I'm not supposed to say that I have a favorite niece, but I do have a favorite niece. She reminds me a lot of myself. She's very feisty. Um, and one thing I love about uh, this niece of mine is that she always asks the question, why? Like, it doesn't matter how mundane the task is. She'll always ask why. And we'll be like, okay, Adeline, now it's time to go to bed. So you better go to the bathroom and brush your teeth. And she'll say, why? And like, well, you need to brush your teeth because you ate a lot of sugar today. And so we want to make sure that your teeth are clean before you go to bed. So why do I need my teeth to be clean before I go to bed? Oh, okay. So it's because you want to keep your teeth, right? You don't want to lose your teeth. You don't want your your teeth to be sick. And so like, we'll go down a very, very long explanation of why she has to brush her teeth. But what I love about her is that she wants to know the why. It's not just, hey, just do it because you're being told to do it. You just need to brush your teeth. Okay. It's not, that's not enough for her. She needs to know the why behind it. And in that same way, when I watch this little niece of mine, there's something in me that desires that same kind of hunger to know the why behind it. Like, I know that I need to do this and I need to do X, Y, and Z. And it's bad if I do this and it's good if I do this, but I wish I had more tenacity in asking the Lord. So why are we even doing this anyway? What's the purpose behind? What's the goal? Where are we trying to get to? Why all the sacrifice? Why all the self-denial? Why all these things? What's the purpose behind it? And so in this, in this way, when we're called to follow Jesus, we're not just called to follow Jesus just because. Hey, follow him because I said so. It's not like a parent saying, look, you need to believe in me because I say so. That's not what... Jesus is saying here, we actually get to see it, to see a glimpse of the purpose that our lives are given as we follow Jesus encapsulated within these 26 verses in Jesus's prayer. If I were to summarize the meaning and the purpose of your life, gal, you know, of, of you, of your life, why you're alive here on earth, why God saved you why you're called to follow him, it will be this. Our purpose statement in life is simply this. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is your purpose statement in life. And you say, well, sure, sure. But, you know, but this is what I'm doing. But I'm a teacher. But, but I'm in the tech industry. But I'm in the entertainment industry. But, hey, I'm in the business world. Yes, I understand that. But ultimately, this is your purpose in life. To know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom God has sent. Let me just briefly make a personal note here. When God first called me into doing what I'm doing right now, there was a sense of excitement. There was a sense of invitation. But ultimately, this is not the reason why I live. I love being a pastor. 
I love being part of this community. I have this sense of like, man, God's hand is upon this community and we're going somewhere and all these things are true. And yet I know that this is not my end all be all. I know that if I were to stop being a pastor tomorrow, or if we were to close down our church tomorrow, or if anything were to happen where I can no longer do this thing that I'm doing right now and that brings me great joy, I know that I would still have a purpose in life. This might be shocking to some of you, but I don't live to do this. You know, this is not why I live. This is not what satisfies me at the end of the day. For me, my prayer is, Lord, you know, I want to be faithful in the ministry, in the mission, the task, the assignment that you've given me. But this is my one condition. And this is what I told the Lord when he first called me to ministry 11 years ago. And it was, I'll follow you wherever you call me. But I need to have you. I'm not going to do ministry just because it's a great and noble task. I need to have you. I'm not going to do all these great good works without knowing you. I need you first and foremost. And then everything else, it's, a, it's second best. It's, it's an added bonus. It's like, yay, I get to do all these things. But what brings me true satisfaction In this life, it's not even doing ministry, although it's really great. Although it's exactly what I know God has called me to do. For me, what brings great satisfaction in my life is to get to know the Father. And if I were to put ministry or any assignment that that I'm given in the place of actually knowing God, I would be in a terrible place. I would have... Done great things, but lost my soul. I would be counted among those people who, when they get to see Jesus at the end of their lives, Jesus will say, you know, I will say, like, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not preach? Did I not pastor in your name? And God will say, like, depart from me. I actually didn't know you. Do all these great things, but I actually didn't know you, Susie. And so for me, this pastoring thing is great. I love getting to do it. I'll do it for as long as God will have me do it. And yet I know that this is not the satisfaction of my life. I know that this is not the fulfillment of my life. There's nothing that takes the place of knowing God. And we see person after person in the entirety of the Bible that say things according to this. They'll say all else is lost compared to knowing him. All the great things that I have on my resume, according to Apostle Paul, in, in Philippians 3, he'll say all these great things that I have in my resume, they are lost compared to knowing him. That is how important, crucial, pivotal it is for us to actually know God, not just know about him, not just know information about him, but actually to know him. You know, when you know somebody, right? You know, when you, they know you and you know them and you actually have an actual connection And it's not like you've just heard about them and you follow them on Insta, but it's actually like they know you. You know them and they know you. And in the same way, our purpose statement here on earth is that we know the Father in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. We also get a glimpse at not just our purpose statement, but also Jesus' purpose statement. And this is pretty cool that we get insight into this. Um, If you don't mind, can we go to the next slide? Um, For some reason, the Clicker is not working. Jesus' purpose statement is, Father, 
I desire that they would be with me where I am to see my glory. This is, if we had a purpose statement, this would be Jesus's. The motive that led Jesus to do what he did. Hebrews 12 says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He tells, it tells us that as glorious as the cross was, it was a means to an end. It's a means to an end. It wasn't an end in itself. He's after something. It's a means to attain something else. And that something else, we see it here in this verse. I desire. So it's like he's about to go on the cross and he says, this is exactly what I'm after right now. This is why in just a few hours, I'm going to bleed and I'm going to be asphyxiated to death on a cross. This is why I'm going to get beaten. This is why I'm going to get abandoned by these 11 disciples. This is why. It's because I have a desire in my heart, and that is that they would be with me where I am, that they get to see my glory. That is the end towards which the cross, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, all these things, and even the return of Christ, that is where it's headed, and that is an underlying purpose statement. It is... He desires for us to be with him where he is. If we were to ask Jesus, what is it that you want at the end of the day? This would be his answer. I want them to be with me where I am. I want every person that follows me, that knows my name, to be with me where I am. So this is how it is... um, I'm so sorry. Can we, could you help me with the slides? This is how this is structured. John 17. And it is our purpose that we would know God and book ended with Jesus's purpose that we would be with him. And in the middle, we're given three challenges. We're given three prayers And we're given three promises, three challenges, three prayers, and three promises. So if we go into the three challenges, this is the bad news. You know, when somebody says, okay, I have good news and bad news. What do you want to hear first? We're starting with the bad news. This is a challenge. This is going to be the obstacle. First thing is that Jesus is no longer going to be present with them. The disciples don't know this yet, but he's going to. You know, he's going to die. And the disciples are not fully grasping this idea. But Jesus is no longer going to be present. In verse 12 and 13, it says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name. But now I am coming to you, Father. So he's basically praying to the Father saying, Okay, now it's my time to actually go home. They have a mission that is left for them. But I'm no longer going to be present with them to accomplish this mission. The second challenge is that they are not going to be whisked away somewhere safe. They're actually going to remain in the world. Verse 15, it says, I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So wouldn't it be so much more convenient, you know, if his prayer had been like, actually, I want every person who calls upon my name to actually be whisked away from danger, whisked away from oppression or persecution or anything but 
His prayer is that, no, they're actually going to remain in the world. And I'm going to be away from them. Third challenge is that they will not be loved and coddled and embraced by the world, but they're actually going to be hated by the world. Verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Side note, if you feel this tension and you feel this point of friction, when you go to work, when you are, you know, at your office or when you are in your workplace or when you are in your family or where you, when you are out in the world, Jesus says you're in good company. The, the tension that you feel is actually because you are not of the world. You're in the world, but actually don't belong there. It's like many of us here are not native Koreans, right? But many of us are living permanently here in Korea. We're always going to live with a little bit of this tension of like, okay, I live here, but I'm not of here. Like there's always going to be a little bit of a discrepancy. I can try, you know, to embrace the culture. I can try to learn certain things and I can try to perfect, you know, language, all of these things. But there's always going to be a bit of a discrepancy because I am here, but I'm not of here. And this is going to be the experience for many of us that live here in Korea, but are not native Koreans. So this is the bad news first. Jesus is no longer going to be present. Second, they will be in the world. And not only that, they're actually going to be hated by the world. They're going to be hated by the world. In the same way that Jesus was persecuted, they're also going to be persecuted. Now, here's the good news. It's followed by three prayers. So this is what Jesus Christ, the son of God, prays on our behalf. First thing in verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So he prays for our protection from the evil one. This is very similar to what we heard when we were talking about um, the Lord's prayer, right? Deliver us from evil, right? So Jesus prays that we would be protected from the evil one. It doesn't mean that we're not going to ever face persecution or adversity, or we're never going to face and be confronted by evil in this world. But he says that we're going to be protected from it. Second thing he prays in verse 11, he says, Holy father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. He prays for oneness with one another. But I want you to catch his language in verse 11. If you have your Bibles with you, just look at verse 11. And I want you to ask yourself, what what do you mean by oneness with one another? He's basically saying, even as we are one. So the Father... And the son are in perfect unity for all eternity. And the kind of unity that is there, that's the kind of unity that I want them to have with one another. That's crazy, actually. That that requires supernatural intervention. That requires supernatural provision. He's saying, even as the father and the son are one, I want them to be one. And that's my prayer. I'm not going to do with anything less than that. 
He prays for protection from the evil one. He prays for oneness with one another. And lastly, he prays for sanctification through the word. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That is verse 17. So there are going to be challenges. Jesus is no longer going to be present. They're going to remain in the world and they're going to be hated by the world. But this is what Jesus prays for those people. He says, they're going to be protected from the evil one. They're going to have oneness with one another. Just like the father and the son have that oneness. They're going to have oneness with one another. And lastly, they're going to be sanctified through the word of God. They're going to begin to look more and more like me through the word of God. So we went through three challenges, three prayers, and now lastly, three promises. There's three promises that Jesus gives to us for those who feel overwhelmed by the challenges, for those who are living in this tension, for those who live with a very stark awareness that we don't have what it takes for us to accomplish this mission successfully. There's three promises that Jesus gives us. The first Thank the Lord for this one. And it is not one of them will be lost. Those who belong to him, not one of them will be lost. Isn't that an amazing promise? Especially for us when we're living this tension and sometimes we feel like, ah, we failed yet again. Are we really going to make it through? You know, like I've only been a Christian for, you know, like 10 years and this is where I am. How am I going to make it through 60 years of being Christian? You know, I've, feel like I'm going to, you know, give up my face somewhere along the line. This is Jesus's promise. Not one of them will be lost. Verse nine and 10, it says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom the father has given me for they are his. All mine are yours, father, and yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. Verse 12 reads, I have guarded them and not One of them has been lost except for the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. So it's already predestined that Judas would betray Jesus. And he wasn't one of the ones that the father had given him. But every person that the father had given to Jesus, not one of them was lost. That is such a reassuring thought, especially when we feel weak, when we feel frail. When we see things shifting all around us, when we think, oh man, I'm barely going to make it through 2020. (laughs) Like, how are we going to make it through? You know, when you feel discouraged that way, this is an, this is a great promise for us to cling on to. If I truly belong to God, I'm not going to be lost. I'm going to feel lost at times, but I'm not going to be lost. It's not upon me, but it's actually upon God. He's going to keep me and I will not be lost. Second promise comes from verse 26. I've made, I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So they will know him and have his love in them. They're not left just to their own understanding, their own ability to love their own ability to care or evangelize, or pray, or perform miracles, but they're going to have the love of Christ at work in them, and Christ himself 
is going to be in them as well. Even though not in bodily form, Jesus is going to be there with them. Lastly, the third promise, and this is the most glorious of the promises. This is in direct correlation with Jesus's desire. They will soon be with him where he is. That's ultimately, that's the end goal. That's a finish line. They're going to be with Jesus where he is sitting at the right hand of God, the father almighty. There's going to be a time when they're going to be reunited. This time of distance, this time apart of long distance relationship is temporary. It's going to feel like an eternity, but it's not going to be eternity. It's just going to be temporary, momentary affliction that is going to get us to that finish line. And that finish line is that we will be with him where he is. The desire that Jesus had in his heart, it will come to pass. So the disciples on the brink of the most challenging moment of their lives, they're given these assurances. There's going to be trouble. It's not going to be easy. And I love that Jesus was very frank about this. He didn't say, oh, it's going to be a walk in the park. Don't worry about it. It's going to be really cool, really fun. No, he said, there's actually going to be trouble. You're going to stay in the world. You're not going to get to shield yourself in the world. You're actually going to be in the world. And the world is actually going to hate you. But don't worry. I'm going to be with you. Don't worry. I will protect you from it. There's going to be challenges. And Jesus prays for us. And for his disciples, and he promises these amazing things that he will make sure that they come to pass for both his disciples and for us as well. Not one of them will be lost. They will know him and have his love in them, and they will soon be with him where he is. So in this hour that we are in, you know, it is an unprecedented time. There are different challenges that we have. For us, this is a very important reminder. This is what Jesus prays for us as well. We do have a mission. We have an assignment. We have a task that's ahead for us. And Jesus has prayed for us. He has promised these things for us. And ultimately, where we are headed is to be with him where he is. Our purpose, that we would know God, and Jesus' purpose, that we'd be with him, are actually one and the same. What is the purpose behind everything? The purpose behind our lives, Jesus's words, Jesus's sacrifice, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, return. What is the purpose behind all of this? This is the story arc of the great word of God in human history is that we would have eternal communion with him. Not just temporary, Not just a glimpse as in a mirror until perfection comes, but we will have eternal communion with him. This is what Jesus desires for his disciples. And this is what Jesus desires for us as well. I love that this passage makes it so simple for us because often we get wrapped up and entangled in all these different small you know, things, oh, we need to do this, and uh, this is important, and this is priority. And, you know, we can, we can have so many lists and so many running things that we need to do. But we need to take a moment and see things from a grander perspective. 
What is all of this heading to? Just like my little niece would ask. So why? Why? Why do we need to do that? Why do we need to do this? Why do we need to sacrifice this? Why do I need to learn this? The ultimate reason for all of this, the ultimate reason why you and I are called to be a part of a body that advances the kingdom of God, the ultimate reason why we're here in this life is for eternal communion with God. And that's where we're headed.